Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. Okay, so I want to remind you where we left off last week, okay? If you hadn't been here on Wednesdays, let me see if I can paint a picture of what's going on in the book of Daniel. Daniel is in a meeting, if you will, and he's in a meeting with the most powerful man on the earth at this time. Understand that, okay? Put that into perspective. Nebuchadnezzar is the most powerful man on the face of the earth right now. Okay, right here in the book of Daniel. And so what happens is that he um, has a dream, okay, he has a dream, and it's a dream that so freaks him out. And we've had those dreams, and sometimes those dreams we wake up and we're, we're just a bloody mess, if you will. It's like, oh, are you kidding me? We're sweating and everything. But he has that kind of dream. And what he does is he calls all the wise counsel, and he says, hey, come in here, come in here. I've got to tell you, man, I'm just, I can't sleep. I've lost, ah, help me. And they said, well, what, what's going on? He says, well, no, 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 I want you to tell me the dream and tell me what it means. And you remember, we talked all about that. And remember how it started in verse 29. Daniel is speaking to the king, and he says this. As for you, O king... Thoughts came into your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets have made it known what he will be. So understand what's going on. The most powerful man in the world right now is totally tripping because not only did he have a dream that freaked him out, not only did he begin to kill wise guys, you know, he began to kill the sorcerers and the magicians and and all of that stuff. But but it, it it so intrigued him that now he's thinking, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's my legacy going to be? Where am I? What's all this about, right? And I think that's important because I think every human comes to the place to go, what's life all about? Really, what's the meaning of life? Until we find purpose in Christ, we will continue to ask those questions. You see, a lot of us try to find meaning and purpose in our job. We, a lot of us try to find meaning and purpose in relationships. Well, I'll, I'll marry you or I'll love you. And, 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 and we try to, uh, we want our spouse to fulfill the role of God instead of worshiping God and, 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 and being that good friend and being that companion. A lot of people try to fulfill all of this the wrong way. You could say they're looking for love in all the wrong places. That's the same as Nebuchadnezzar. He's so freaked out. Well, this king, if you will, had an amazing dream. It's about a colossus. You go, what's a colossus? It's a giant image, a statue. But the interpretation puzzled the king. He goes, what does it mean? Well, look at verse 17 with me in Daniel chapter 2 as we recall this. Then Daniel went to his house and made a decision to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions that they might seek the mercies from God of heaven concerning the secret, so Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men in Babylon. So Daniel says, oh, okay, hold on, I've got to pray about this. And I think it's so key on prayer. And you go, why? Prayer is essential for the Christian. Now, prayer isn't just, hey, I'm going to talk to God in the five minutes that I have between my house and work. Prayer is when we spend time in faith. Come on, somebody, say amen. In faith, praying and knowing that God hears. That's why our noonday prayer is so important. 
because we're praying for you. We're praying for the issues that go in our life. That's why our second Sunday prayer meeting as we gather. That's why we need to be a church that prays. Because again, there are a lot of things that are happening in Daniel that happen in our lives. There's a lot of things we need to pray for. And that's what's going on in Daniel. So what does God do? Oh, Heavenly Father, he, he answers that prayer. And the first thing they do is, well, they, they praise the Lord. They praise the Lord. And the Bible said that Daniel, so Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Guys, we know that God answers our prayers. We know he answers them constantly, and we know he answers them faithfully. I would love us to be a congregation that continually praises the Lord. Oh, no, not just in word, not just in, in mechanics. Well, how's that going? Well, praise the Lord. But really, where it's like, wow, you won't believe this. Praise God. You, whoa, he just blew my mind. Why? Guess what? I got to eat today. Really? Yeah, that's a blessing. I got to sleep in a warm bed. That's a blessing. Whatever it might be, that we truly have praise from the depths of our heart. We need to be a congregation. We need to be a people that praises the Lord when God answers prayer. Can I get an amen? amen. Can I get a good amen? amen? Okay, here's why. Because we pray and we say, yes, amen, when God answers yes in our favor, do we not? Boy, I hope the Cowboys win. Yes! Oh, wait, they lost. Never mind. So that's a whole different story, but you guys see what I'm saying. When, they, when, when we don't get our prayer, do we still praise the Lord? Of course we do. Why? Because I believe God created certain things, such as football and so forth, for our enjoyment. And we don't worship it. We say, we worship the Lord, thank you. Thank you. I, I like to watch this because I get enjoyment uh, out of it, whatever it might be. Some people like to watch the, you know, the, the home shopping network. Some people like to watch you know, uh, the remodel place, and they get enjoyment out of it. We never worship that, guys. We never reverse the creative order. We always worship the creator, not the creation. But what if we were a people that were like, yes, what happened? God said no. Amen. You're excited because God said no? Absolutely. And God said, wait, okay, he's on. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. How long are we waiting for? I'm just waiting. You excited? I'm excited. Why? He said, wait. That's not us. That's not our culture. Our culture is instant gratification. If we don't get a yes, we're upset. Well, I don't understand. I prayed. Oh, really? How long did you pray? I prayed for 30 seconds today. God should answer me. And here's what we're doing. Here's what we're doing, church. I don't know why I'm getting off on this, but here's the thing. Oftentimes we take God and we use him as a vending machine, don't we? We put in our couple of quarters, we hit the button, and we hope our prayer, and, our, and God answers our prayer in that way. And that's how we, or, or if we rub the lamp and we, and we pray a prayer, and our, that's, how we, that's how we want God to answer our prayers. It's important. You see, God, God answered Daniel's prayer. But see, here's the thing. Daniel is praying for a specific interpretation on the king. You guys know this. But Daniel's going to be stuck in Babylon for 70 years. And he still blesses God. He still blesses God. You see, I would have been like, okay, Lord, you were good. That was awesome. You gave me everything I needed to know about Nebuchadnezzar. That's right on. But Lord, how long am I going to be here? Really, can we, are we going to escape? Are we going to, and God didn't answer that prayer. He didn't say anything. 
That's how I feel sometimes. I feel sometimes I'm like, God, you're not even, you're not talking to me. And, and, but what if we had a heart that just praised the Lord? Just all the time. Just praise the Lord. Why are you so happy? Why are you so excited? God is good. He's so good. He's so good. Now, last week, we learned about the Colossus. Look at verse 31. You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. If you have a pencil handy, go ahead and circle the word image. Why? Because it's in the Aramaic, and it means an idolatrous figure. That's what it is. It's an idolatrous figure in form. You can write image. That's what it is. You go, okay. Now, here's what I find interesting. It's an idolatrous figure that he dreamt about, but you understand that Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq today, that's Babylon, okay, was the epicenter of idol worship. Idol worship. What do you mean? Well, look what God did, guys. This is so classic God because he now communicates to this heathen king in a way that he can understand. Why? Because all his life in Babylon, he's worshipped an idol. And now the dream consists of an idol. But, but that's what God does. And I think we can take a lesson from the heart of God. When we communicate to people, we need to find out where they're at and be able to communicate them and, and, and try to talk to them in a place they're at. We have to be so careful. We have to be so careful. If we are going to love people back to life, if we're going to love people into the kingdom, we can't judge them where they're at at the moment but we can try to reach them right where they're at you see the church the church is known for so much wow well, and they and they put their in you and if you did this but i'm thinking listen at the end of the day this is a soul this is a soul that needs jesus and somehow their, their path got crooked and got distorted and now they're over here, but they really want to be over here because you and I know what it's like over here. And, and the last thing they want to do is start pointing fingers at the church going, well, look at you, I can't believe. We don't want to do that. We want to say, hey, listen, we, know, we don't condone what you're doing. You're, you're going to fall off the cliff. Come back. Come back. And then they'll quote to you one of the scriptures that they know. It's Matthew 7, 1, judge not lest you be judged. And it's like, no, I'm not judging you. I'm just trying to love you back into the kingdom. I'm trying to love you into a victorious walk with God. I'm trying to love you till you understand that there are people who do love you. And you're not alone. You're not alone. Now, by way of reminder, let us go back to verse 32 of Daniel chapter 2. We'll just read the image because we're going to talk about it. The image head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while the stone was cut out with hands, which struck the image on his feet of iron and clay and broke them to pieces. Then the iron and the clay and the bronze and the silver and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floor. And the wind carried them away so that no trace was, was of them was found. 
And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain, and it filled the whole earth. Let me show you that picture again. Josh is going to put it up there. Here's what he saw. He saw this image, okay? Can you imagine? Now, it wasn't just a little statue about yay high. This was a giant image, and this is what Daniel is uh, showing us. Now, we're going to leave, I'm going to ask Josh to leave that up, except when we go to Scripture, because I want you to see, okay? Let's go back. Let's talk about this, because this is going to make sense. You got it? If you're taking note, there are three observations or symbolism that we're going to glean from this image. Okay? Here's what I want you to know. This is known as a colossus. Okay? Right here. This is a giant idolatrous image, a colossus. You go, okay, so help me. Now, everybody focus up here. This is what Nebuchadnezzar saw. This is the first thing we got to grasp. You can see it on this side too, right up here. What is that? This is a colossus had a unified head, but divided from the head down. Right here, God is communicating what's going to happen in the world. Can you believe that? God in the book of Daniel, way before the New Testament, was telling us the kingdoms that were going to happen. And he says, okay, I saw this. I saw this gold head. Okay, now the gold constitutes in itself a united whole, one unit. In here, church, nothing is divided. It's one piece. You go, okay, cool. Now, look at the silver. We get past the neck into the silver, and what do we see? The silver is divided into the chest and the arms. The chest and the arms. That's going to be very important, too, in biblical and world history. Now, the bronze, as you go right here, this is bronze. It sort of looks gold in here, but it's supposed to be bronze. Okay, and it extends from the upper belly. You guys can see it right here, upper belly, all the way down to the legs. Okay, now, this is bronze, very, very important. And then we get to the iron legs. Look at the legs. The iron legs, how many legs are there? Two, and then they constitute, again, all the way from about the feet on up. And then you have, on the bottom, look at the feet, guys. This is iron mixed with clay, iron and clay, right here, okay? And that constitutes a huge division. You go, okay, I'm with you. What does this have to do? Well, first, that's what we got to understand, this was the Babylonian Empire we talked about last week, the Babylonian, and this is not working, okay. But anyway, you have the Babylonian Empire, then you had the Medo-Persian, then you had the Grecian, and you had the Roman, okay? Then you have the Holy Roman Empire. We'll talk about that in just a second. But I want you to see something very, very important, and you go, what's that? Note with me the descending value of the metallic image, the descending value. What do you mean? Gold is very, very, very valuable. You understand that, right? In today's price, the gold costs about $1,800 an ounce. So if you have gold, it's about $1,800 per ounce. Silver is valuable, but it's not as valuable as gold. As a matter of fact, think about this. When you go from gold to silver, today's price, silver is $24.06 an ounce. So you go from $1,800 to $24. Well, guess what? Bronze is somewhat valuable. 
Today's price of bronze is $1.20 an ounce. $1.20. So if you have bronze and you want to take it to sell it, you'll get about a buck twenty per ounce. Well, you go, well, Ben, I don't have um, bronze, but I do have iron. Iron is about $0.10 cents an ounce. And clay, well, that's almost free. That's almost free. Now, so think about this. As far as riches go and everything, it's going to descend from the Babylonian Empire all the way down to the Roman, the Holy Roman Empire. It's going to come all the way through. Now, that's point number two. But let me give you an observation note. Okay, When it comes to metals, church, the metals, although they're more value at the head, they actually get stronger the farther you go down. What do you mean? Iron is obviously much stronger than gold. You're like, okay, okay. Now, let's take a look at the image. I want you to note a couple of things. There is, and I wish this worked. I don't know why, maybe. Okay, let's see if we got it. There is right here, guys, see this? There's a prophetic gap between the iron and the iron clay right here. Right here. This goes all the way down, and, and you can't see it, but there's a prophetic gap. And you go, what does that mean? This is known as the church age. The church age. Okay, so Daniel dreams a corresponding dream in chapter 7. So now we pick up where we left off last week. Okay, and I'm calling this message the Colossus of Clout Revealed. Okay, last week was the Colossus of Clout. Now we're going to be revealed. Why? Because tonight we're going to discover that Daniel will give King Nebuchadnezzar the interpretation of the dream. But we need to understand a couple of points. You go, what's that? First and foremost, lock this in your brain. The book of Daniel is written by a Jewish man about Gentiles that has absolutely nothing to do with the church. You go, really? Yeah, because the church was a mystery and it's it's not going to be revealed until the New Testament book of Ephesians. So, Starting January 15th, we open the book of Ephesians, and we're going to see how beautiful the church is. But the book of Daniel had no clue in the book of Ephesians. But there's some amazing, wonderful applications we can grab for our life. You go, what else, Ben? Well, the second point is Daniel was unique among the prophets of the Old Testament. In what way? He was given visions by God concerning not Jewish kingdoms, but Gentile kingdoms. And that's important because the church age or the Gentile kingdoms will continue all the way till the second coming of the Lord. So you are actually part of Daniel's vision. Right in here, right there where you see this, this is us right now. This, all of this happened already. We're right here. It's important because now we're going to see exactly what's going to happen. You go, what does it mean? Well, jot this down if you're taking note. It's called the times of the Gentiles. The times of the Gentiles. And you go, okay, what was that? Well, this is a specific time period in which the Jews will be stripped of their kingdom and Gentile nations. Now, when I say Gentile nations, you need to understand it's everything other than Jewish. Okay, if you looked at a Russian empire, you looked at China empire, you looked at anywhere else, these are all 
Gentile nations. You understand that. The United States of America is a Gentile nation. Okay? So the times of the Gentiles, the Jews are stripped of their king, and the Gentile nation will rule over them and the whole earth. Now, when did this begin? If you're taking note, this began at 606 B.C. 606, when the Babylonian Empire that took the last two Jewish tribes captive and it's going to continue until the end of the tribulation period and when Jesus sets up his earthly kingdom. Okay? I want you to think about a revelation study for just a moment. You're going to understand that at that point still, I mean, you've you got to understand, this is all going to be Gentiles and the Gentile nations through the, gen, through the tribulation period. Oh, here's what's going to happen. God is going to take his beautiful, wonderful Holy Spirit, take it off the Gentiles, and he's going to now focus on Israel in the last seven years. Although they'll still be Gentile nations, you understand that. They'll still be, they'll still be people um, giving birth and having babies and, and all of this stuff, but the focus of the Holy Spirit will now be on the Jewish nation. They'll still be ruled, if you will, by Gentiles, at least up until God comes and sets up his kingdom. You go, okay, okay. If you're taking notes, Revelation chapter 19 tells the story of the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth following his return after the battle of Armageddon. Okay, so when is this going to end? When is the time of the Gentiles? Not until the very last battle, the battle of Armageddon, and the Lord comes and sets up and reigns for a thousand years. Now, just for the sake of our Bible study for tonight, I want you to think of our current world today. I want you to think of how we get along. We drive cars, we go to the grocery store, we make money. We, but I wonder what, I wonder what the world is going to look like when Jesus is actually ruling from Jerusalem for a thousand years. You see, you and I, we're going to be different. We're going to have glorified bodies. We're going to be able probably to walk through walls. I don't know if we're going to travel with the speed of thought, but can you imagine? Can you imagine? What is the world going to look like? Are there going to be cars? Will there be gasoline? Will there be buildings? Or is this all going to be different? I don't know. But I know that at this point, when you're taken in the rapture, you're going to live forever. When you're with God, you now have a glorified body. And that's the body you're going to live in forever. It's a body that doesn't get old. It's a body that doesn't break down. It's a body that's not sick. It's going to be so glorious. Now, from what I've seen of Jesus, he still eats. So it's a body that we can still eat. That's good. Because we like to eat. Food is good. But I wonder, if you have a moment and the Lord wakes you up at three in the morning, think about what the world might look like during the thousand-year reign. It's hard to comprehend. Why? Because all we know is this culture. This is all we've known and we've all grown up in this world. But God is going to do something so radical that it's going to blow our minds. 
But see, that's the hope, guys. That's the hope that the Christian has thinking about this, that listen, the hope is we're not going to live in the world like this anymore. It's going down. It's breaking. It's groaning, Paul says in the book of Romans. So are we. So are we. Now, what does the dream mean? Well, let's, picking it up in verse 36, here Daniel writes, This is the dream. Now we'll tell you the interpretation before the king. The giant statue, or the Colossus, symbolized four great world empires. We can put that back up, Josh. From the time of Nebuchadnezzar, his dream to the second coming of Christ. It's not only visually shows us how many empires or kingdoms shall hold sway over the world, it also shows us in what order they'll occur. In verse 37, it says, You, O king, are a, notice that, king of kings. That's important. Because only Jesus is the king of kings. But Daniel says, hey, you, you, you're the head, man. You're, you're the head. For the God of heaven is giving you kingdom. He is giving you power, strength, and glory. And whenever the children of men dwell, or the beast of the field, or the birds of heaven, he speaking of God, has given them into your hand and has made you a ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. I can imagine right now what Nebuchadnezzar was thinking. Yeah, buddy, I'm the head of gold. Yeah, I got this. Okay, so from 609 B.C. to 539 B.C., this was the ruling nation of Babylon. Everybody say Babylon. Why is that important? I'm going to tell you in just a second. Okay, Daniel says, here's the interpretation. The head of this statue is made out of pure gold. It represents the first world empire to arise during when, church? The time of the Gentiles. Because, see, your mind goes, no, 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 there have been other nations before. No, it started the time of the Gentiles. So now all of a sudden you've got this, oh, oh, okay, okay. The Babylonian Empire, which history books tell us that it actually lasted from 609 B.C. to 539. And so what Daniel does, very interesting, you got to jot this down. Go back to verse 37 in your Bibles. And it says, you, O king. I want you to circle king. And you go, why? Because the term king and kingdom, Daniel uses interchangeably. Okay, so it's not just you, O king. So when he says in verse 37, you, O king, you're the head of gold, what's he talking about? Just so you know, put a little line and you could say, this is the kingdom of Babylon. Not just Nebuchadnezzar the king. This is the whole kingdom of Babylon. Now, just so you know what we're talking about, let me give you a very brief history lesson in Babylon. There was a fellow back in the book of Genesis, chapter 11, by the name of Nimrod. That's what I was trying to remember the other day. Do you remember going to Israel and Nimrod's castle was up there in the northern part of Israel? right before we looked over to see Syria. Well, Nimrod has a castle. 
But back in Genesis chapter 11, remember that he and a bunch of them started the Tower of Babel. There you go. What happened at the Tower of Babel? Well, remember, the people of the earth at that time decided to build a tower to reach to the heavens to make a name for them. Let's Let's make a tower. God said, no, 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 no. He confused their language. He scattered them throughout the earth. So Babel, jot this down, Babel means confusion. Confusion. This was the name of their city they're trying to build. The Babylonians were rebelling against God. This is where Babylon comes from. And now you got a great idea. And so... My watch is trying to listen to what I'm trying to say. I have no idea. Siri, you can't listen to this. In verse 39 of the book of Daniel, he says, But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours. Notice the semicolon. you guys see that in your Bible? Then another, comma, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. So, let's put that picture back up real quick. The second empire, guys, jot this down. It's the Medo-Persian Empire. You can put that somewhere in your Bible. And this went from 539, after Babylon was, was ended, from 539 B.C. to 331 B.C. Okay? This was the Medo-Persians. So, following the head of gold were the chest and the arms made of silver. How many arms does the statue have? Two. Very good. You guys are amazing. Okay? But Daniel says, now listen up, king. Once you're done, because remember, he was so freaked out about what was going to happen. He says, once you're done, this is what's going to happen. After you, sir, another kingdom will rise inferior to yours. Now, since the kingdom on and the empire was future, when Daniel was interpreting the dream, he couldn't go, oh, listen, King Neb, hey, bro, the Medo-Persians are coming after you. He didn't know who it was. This was still far in advance. You guys tracking with me? Why is that important? Because many, many, many years after the book of Daniel was written and all of history had taken place, somebody came back and said, oh, he didn't, he didn't see this. It couldn't be him. It was somebody who had already went through history and then put his name to it. And that, and you can't trust the Bible. But he said, no, I'm, I, if, if I was going to do that, I would have said, hey, the Medo-Persians, the Grecian Empire, the Rome, you know, I would have, I would have quoted Alexander the Great, and he doesn't do that. See, all Daniel knew, and he's very smart, believe it or not, all he said is he saw the dream, and he realized that that was a kingdom that was inferior because, how? The metal that was used. He was very wise. And he said, wait a minute, gold is strong, silver is inferior, and it's less valuable than gold. And so we understand through history, we looked back and we talked about the Medo-Persians. The Medes were Iraqi Kurds, a member mainly of pastoral Islamic people living in Kurdistan. And Persians were is modern-day Iran. So now you have two kingdoms. 
This came after Nebuchadnezzar dies. You guys got that? And the dates again, 539 BC to 331 BC. So the statue depicts the kingdom composed of two peoples by comparing the two arms of the Colossus. You go, Pastor, what's your point? I'd say pay attention to your dreams. <laughs> you know what? I mean, you go, wait, that, I had a dream the other night that the hamburger was eating me. Well, did the hamburger have lettuce and did it have tomatoes and was it pickles? I mean, I don't know. We need to pay attention because that's what Daniel did. Daniel said, wait a minute. I see that it's silver, but I also see that there's two arms. Huh. Must be a divided kingdom the Medo-Persian kingdom, okay? So, after after Babylonian kingdom, there was to rise a kingdom inferior to it. As silver is inferior to gold, inferior to gold, but stronger. So you got, it's less valuable, but silver stronger. From chapter 8 and verse 20 to chapter 5, verse 28 to 31, we see that the Medo-Persians took over the Babylonian kingdom in 538 B.C. under the rulership, guys, of Darius the Mede. So we're going to see him actually here later on. Okay? Now note, they were inferior in wealth, in luxury, and magnificence. You understand that. That's the Medo-Persians. But they were not inferior in power nor the extent of the kingdom, for they were mightier and they actually ruled over a large part, larger part other than Babylon. Okay? The Medo-Persians actually ruled from Babylon. That's, you have the Medo-Persians, so they're still there. In chapter 2, verse 39, it says, A third kingdom of bronze shall rise, shall rule over the earth. This would be known as Greece. The belly and the thighs of brass or bronze from 331 B.C. to 168 B.C. So now we're getting close to the birth of Christ. But this is known as the Grecian Empire. This is the third. If you look at history, here's what's going on. The third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the earth. Following the course of history, we see that this metal represents the Grecian Empire under who? Under the control, maybe you studied this back in school, of Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great. The empire went through a great upheaval and change from 331 to 168 B.C. The kingdom was the Grecian Empire stated in 82021. The final deciding battle was in Abella in 331 B.C. Against who? It was Alexander the Great and Darius Commandus, the last line of the Persian king. So Alexander comes in and he wipes out Darius. Alexander. And he takes over the kingdom. Darius was killed by one of his own men when refusing to make a more hasty retreat. What happens? Alexander, that's why they called him the Great. The Bible says that the kingdom was to bear rule over all the earth. The Grecian kingdom did. For it ruled from Greece across the borders of India down to Egypt. Alexander was the leader, but he only led for eight short years before his death at age 33. It was said that Alexander was depressed because he couldn't conquer anything else. 
He was so bummed that he could not win any more wars. Now, let me just give you a side note about Alexander. Alexander died between the evening of June 10th and the evening of June 11th, 323 B.C. Guess where? This happened uh, in the palace of Nebuchadnezzar II in Babylon. So he actually died in the palace. You go, what's the point? Alexander the Great was still ruling from Babylon. Wait a minute, you said the Medo-Persians were ruled from Babylon. You said, whoa, wait a minute, maybe there's something to look at. Maybe in the last days, I don't know, I'm, my opinion, maybe there's something that we need to pay attention to in modern-day Iraq. Hmm. Would be interesting, wouldn't it? Daniel 2.40 and the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, inasmuch iron breaks into pieces and shatters everything. Like iron crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces, crush all others, whereas you saw the feet, the toes, part, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. Yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay." And the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay. So the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw, iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. You go, what was the fourth kingdom? Guys, it was none other than Rome. Rome was the legs of iron. When did they rule? Jot this down. 168 B.C. all the way to 476 A.D. This fourth kingdom, guys, represented the legs, the legs, the legs of the giant Roman Empire. Now, again, I want you to think and I want you to see the Colossus back here. Let's see if we put it up there. Okay, look how long the legs are. This means this kingdom ruled for a very, very long time. How did they do it? Well, they were strong as iron. Iron breaks and subdues all things and would break all the metals before it. It would break them into pieces and bruise. Rome did. It conquered Greece and subdued all things and broke nations and bruised them. It was always victorious in war. Listen to that. It made its way to the Euphrates, the Danube, the Rhine, and the ocean. The nations fell and were broken by the iron monarchy of Rome. Listen to this. The Bible makes a clear statement in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, that Rome ruled the world. You guys with me? And this is what they say. You cannot tax the world unless you rule it. In the height, it ruled the whole South Europe, France, England, the greater part of the Netherlands, Switzerland, and south of Germany, Hungary, Turkey, Greece, parts of Asia, and Africa. That's what Rome ruled. This is why the disciples were so excited to go up to the Passover for in their mind, they thought Jesus, the king of kings, was going to subdue Rome and rule the world. You guys got that? This is why when they were walking, Jesus says, hey guys, I'm going to die. And Peter says, no, you're not. No. 
And what did Jesus say? Satan, get behind me. You don't understand the bigger plan. The bigger plan. You guys understand, Rome ruled. Listen, Rome ruled for 645 years. They ruled. It wasn't, oh, every four years we might get a chance. Oh, hopefully this will turn around in the midterms. For 645 years, Rome crushed nations. You got that. You understand, nobody liked Rome, because in order to rule the world, they had to dominate the world. They dominated by taxes. Okay? Think about this. You cannot, if you, for you cannot tax the world unless you rule it. That's why some of the Jewish people, like Matthew, was what? A tax collector. Why do you think they hated Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. Wait a minute, you're siding with Rome. Are you kidding me? No. You see, in order for Rome to rule the world, not only did they tax that, but they would also come in and they would crush it. It would be like if you were sitting at your house and you see Rome drive up and you see your neighbors and all of a sudden they kill the men of the house, they rape the women, and they just take all of their stuff. And there's nothing you can do about it. How happy would you be with Rome? You'd be like, "Mm -mm. mm-mm, mm-mm. And this didn't go on for four years, sir. This didn't go on for 645 years. You understand Rome was very, very strong. But it was also divided because, you see, there were two legs. And this would imply that divided that the Roman Empire would eventually be divided into two parts. How do we know this is true? Because at 345, 364 AD, excuse me, the Roman empires begin divided into its eastern division with Constantinople as its capital and a western division with Rome as its capital. You understand the moment Rome divided is the moment that they started to weaken in their strength. The third thing we should note is that the iron, which represents Rome, carries into the feet of the toes in the next world power. Everybody say next. Because that's the one that we're going to see or get a glimpse of. That's what's happening. And you go, here's why. Here's why the Antichrist is going to come out of a revived Roman Empire. Okay, this is why we look to Europe and Rome and we kind of see what's going on. We see what's happening. This is why I can point to certain Americans, if you will, or certain um, Jewish people and go, no, 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 that's not the Antichrist because he's going to come up. You go, why? Why would you say that? Here's why. Because Rome was never fully destroyed. Its eastern division said, okay, okay, we're going to change the name. We're going to now be, we're not going to be the Roman Empire anymore. We're going to be the Byzantine Empire. And then later on they said, no, we're not going to be the Byzantine, we're going to be the Ottoman Empire. They were still very strong at the time, but they never really, nobody came in and said, we crushed Rome. Nobody said that. They sort of just, they're still kind of, they're still kind of there. They're just sort of, and you say, 
Well, that's important. It is. Why? Because that's going to bleed into. Okay, so you remember, this is the Romans. So right here, this is us. So Rome never really was destroyed, but it's mixed in here. So what's that about? What's that about? Well, let's talk about the iron and the clay. Let's talk about that. Okay? Iron and clay are much more than just divided kingdoms. Looking back at this prophecy, all the metals have been represented by kingdoms, nations, and states. But what does the Bible represent clay as? You go, I'm not sure. Well, if you're taking note, jot this down. Jeremiah 18 and 6, Isaiah 64 and 8, we find God's people, which are his church, according to Acts chapter 7, verse 38, are always likened as clay. Wait, the Bible says that? Yes. You go, okay, so God's people are like clay. But here's the thing. This is miry, or this is dirty clay. You go, what does that mean? Everybody look down here. Okay, look at this. This is dirty clay right here. You see that? Why? Because it's mixed with so-called God's people and... Oh, well, there's some iron in there. Well, isn't iron wrong? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so Ben, what are you trying to say? Daniel chapter 2 shows us that there's going to be a uniting of church and state during the time of the frame of, of the new Roman Empire. Wait, 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 say that again? Listen, listen what he's showing us right now, right here. Daniel goes, wait a minute. This is so future. This is where Larry lives. This is where Norma's living. What do I see? I see a, wait a minute, there's a uniting of a, a church and state. I thought there was something in our, said that we don't, yeah, wait, so what's going on? You see, God is showing us right now that the church and the state should not be united for the fact, why? Iron does not mix with clay. You see, it's not God's system to mix the two together. They should remain separate. So, Ben, what are we talking about? You ready? Jot this down. What we see here is an apostate church. It's an apostate church that's going to join the state and say, yeah, we're unified as one. It's not the true church of Jesus Christ. So you go, well, Ben, what, what does that look like in my life? You're going to see churches or people that call themselves churches start to begin to look more like the world and allowing, allowing things that are not biblical into the church. He told us this in Daniel chapter 2. So when the church stands up and goes, no, here's what we're going to do. We're going to just, um, we're not going to teach the Bible. We're going to kind of, we're going to do our own thing and we're going to kind of be culturally relevant and we're going to just allow just the spirit of, listen, here's what they're doing. They're mixing. It's the apostate church that's now going This may be a shock to you, but 
this is part of a new world order, new government, if you will, and an apostate church trying to come together. Now, this might be, I'm going to go out on the limb, but I think they tried and are trying to kill the church of Jesus Christ. I think it started back in 2020, and I think we're on the fast track to say, "Uh -uh. uh-uh, uh-uh. If you teach the Bible, we're going to consider that hate speech. If you teach the Bible, we're going to say, and not only that, but we're going to try to convince the world, the godly, we're going to try to convince Christians, believe it or not, we're going to try to convince Christians that you shouldn't go to particular churches that teach the Bible because they're way irrelevant for what you need. So what are we doing, church? And we've got to be careful. We're bringing pop culture or we're bringing pop psychology into the pulpit. We're not exposing or ex- explaining the text. And we have megachurches. Now, these are our brothers. I pray that they won't, but you understand what he's telling us here. Because the Bible says that, that it's Christians that are the clay. So not only do we have to try to win the world, we have to try to win our brothers or make sure our brothers don't stray. We have a lot of work to do. So you go, well, what's the last day? What's the last day's empire? Well, it's the feet in the clay. You guys see that? It's the feet in the clay. The feet and the toes of the Colossus represent the final world empire that will occur right before the return of Christ. This is the only kingdom we cannot put a definite name on because it's not part of history, but it's present or future. Can you imagine? We don't have a name. We don't, right here, it could be the holy, it could be the revived Roman Empire. It could be Rome and Babylon. It could be, it could be, um, could be any of that. But I think it's going to be stronger than the World Economic Forum. I think it's going to be a, a, a global. In verse 45b, it says, The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. The prophetic dream was clearly fulfilled by history. Three dominating empires came after Babylonian. We see the Medo-Persians, Greece, and Rome. The nature of these empires were accurately reflected by the nature of the image Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream. The empire succeeding Babylon was inferior to Nebuchadnezzar's head of gold in the sense that their centralization of absolute power. Nebuchadnezzar was an absolute monarch, a king, and the succeeding empires were progressively less so. They were larger and lasted longer than Babylon, but none held as much centralized power as Nebuchadnezzar did. The third kingdom of bronze, which was in which will rule over all the earth, indeed, Alexander's Grecian Empire, was the largest among the compared and the image, except for the final government of the Messiah. You remember, it's going to what? It's going to come and crash a man, a, a, out of without a hand. He's going to come. He's going to crash all of this, and it's going to be 
and it's going to be glorious. That's the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom of God. The Babylonian Empire, it stood for 66 years. The Medo-Persian Empires, it ruled for 208 years. The Grecian Empire ruled for 185 years. And the Roman Empire was well over 600 years. But it never really got crushed, did it? And so it's going to make a comeback in the near future. You go, what should we do? Keep your eyes on what's going on in the Middle East. Look up credible news sources and say, okay, what's happening? You can see all of this going on. Keep your eyes. We're not here to look for the Antichrist. We're here to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. That's the key. That's the key. You go, Ben, what was all this about the history? Well, the next time we get together, guys, we're going to learn, and we're going to talk more about just two verses, verse 44 and 45. You go, why? Because that's going to be the kingdom of God. That's going to be the kingdom of God. Here's the, here's the hope that I want to leave you. The word of God is true. Daniel saw it. The Lord gave him the interpretation. He spelled it out. We, got, we, get, we get a preview of, of all of these. We, this is history. This is world history right here. These are the dominating forces. We see that there has not been, since the Roman Empire, 456 BC, there hasn't been anything that will totally dominate the world. Now, you have somebody who might. I'll let you think about that. Who is the strongest nation that could rule the world? But then the God, the kingdom is going to come, and he's going to rule the world for a thousand years. It's all set up. You go, well, pastor, what's the point? Listen. The point is, is that God told us, it's in the book, it's in the Old Testament, it's about us, and so we can take heart that if, if, if this is being prophesied, and then in the New Testament it talks about Jesus Christ coming and dying for our sins, and that we can find peace and eternal life, and hope, and we can believe it, and you can take it to the bank. So tonight, thank God that you're saved. Thank God that you have a relationship with him, and put your head on that pillow tonight and go, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Amen. Father, we thank you tonight for your word and the truth in your word. We thank you, God, that um, you're just amazing and wonderful. And thank you for the book of Daniel. Lord, in the first two chapters, Lord, we're actually talking about us. We're talking about what we're about to see. Lord, thank you. Thank you that we can study your word in depth, Lord, that we can go deep. Thank you that it's even like a history lesson, Lord, where we're like, wow. But Lord, all it should do is just help us to believe that your word is true. God, you are amazing and wonderful. And Lord, I pray now for everyone that's here that heard your word, that they would make a decision tonight to follow you. They would repent of their sins and say, Jesus, I love you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you. 
I'm not going to follow the ways of the world. I'm not going to play church. I'm going to follow you. I love you, Lord, that we would surrender our lives and our hearts to you. I pray that's our prayer tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's sing one last worship song, and then we'll be dismissed. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.